Welcome to Cinema of Meaning, the podcast from myself, Thomas Flight, and my fellow video essayist, Tom Vanderlinden from the channel Like Stories of Old, that seeks to explore the depths of what cinema has to offer. This week, we're talking about Damien Chazelle's Whiplash. Tom, why do you think Whiplash is a movie worth discussing? I think Whiplash is a perfect distillation of a very simple idea, basically. It, it, it's just a very bare bones story almost, but it's executed so well, which in itself makes it really interesting, just from a filmmaking perspective. And I think more thematically, it's obviously an interesting study on greatness and the cost of greatness, the ethics that kind of arise along the way in bringing it about. So yeah, and something about the relation between a teacher and a student, of course. Yeah, that's, I think, already pretty much captures the movie. I think there's some nuances that we'll get into, but to put it in one sentence, yeah, that's what I think makes this movie just fascinating in some ways. There's, I especially love the way the climax not to spo immediately spoil anything even though i think most people by now have seen this movie i, I just love the way it's the climax is basically a battle scene but just with one guy on the drums and the other kind of watching as, as it happens it's very rare for me to see a finale that's so intense without having any real violence in it and Especially considering, like, I don't know a lot about music. I don't play any instruments. So for me, like, I cannot tell by ear just, like, what's going on. Like, is this really good? Is it not really good? Just the, the fact that the movie managed to elicit that kind of emotional response that's, yeah, was quite amazing. Yeah, I remember the first time, and I think even, like, the second or third, because I've seen this movie a, a lot at this point. It's, mm -hmm. it's one of my favorites I think of all time, certainly of like the last decade, I, I just okay. love this, yeah. this movie specifically. But a, a big reason why I love it is that ending. And like the first couple times I watched it, I just remember being so tense for mm -hmm. that entire like, you know, like 15 minute climax or whatever it is. It's such a like such a beautiful way of like bringing a story to a head and like dealing with the central conflict of the film in this very like visual kind of intuitive way there's almost no dialogue at the end there mm -hmm. but yeah I, I there's very few times there's very few movies that will make me like feel like as intense like as tense as this one can for the last like you know 15 mm -hmm. minutes or whatever i'm interested yeah. to to discuss it there's like you said like i think a lot this movie kind of wears its themes on its sleeve it's not like a weird mm -hmm. metaphor for for like deeper ideas it's kind of like this is what it's about it's about the struggle for greatness you know the cost that individuals mm -hmm. are willing to pay to do that or maybe like how our ideas about how greatness can be achieved or should be achieved the role that like suffering or hardship can play in achieving greatness and like a lot of the conversations or the scenes that happen outside of like the scenes in the studio where they're actually practicing music are are directly about those kind of concepts so it'll be interesting to di discuss it because a lot of it is just right there in the movie so instead of uncovering things i think we'll be more just talking about what's on the surface but yeah it's it's a well-made film and i'm yeah. interested to dive in 
I think it would be interesting to start with if we're just discussing like the kind of surface content of the movie to just a briefly lay out the arguments that the movie brings up for yeah. the so-called cast of greatness. What does it tell us like on that immediate level? Because the basic setup is we have this aspiring drummer who wants to study under this great renowned teacher. That in itself, I think, was a fascinating dynamic. Also, the way these characters were introduced to us. Miles Tellers' character, Andrew. He's kind of this underdog character where he's presented as someone who doesn't necessarily, who wasn't necessarily raised with musicians around him. He came from this average family with average people, and he wanted to kind of climb out of it. And Fletcher, the teacher, he's kind of the embodiment of high art in that sense, or in this case, high jazz music. I love the little detail when he, I think it's when he first came into the, during his own repetitions where he came in and he, he took out these earplugs. Like he's the guy who walks around using earplugs to preserve his hearing for the sole purpose of only using it for like the music. So he's really like someone who's dedicated that entire sense of himself to listening to music. Yeah. And it's something I, I can't relate to. Like, I'm not sure to what extent that part of the movie is accurate in the sense that they'll be drumming for like two seconds and he's immediately like, mm, no, rushing. Yeah. No, dragging. <laughs> and it happens like 10 times and I just can't hear the difference. But yeah, that's, yeah. I'm willing to just uh, suspend my disbelief for it. Believe it for the sake of the story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I imagine I think it's a thing. I, I also don't don't know enough to I was trying this time to to like mm -hmm. see if I could hear it and like count it out. It happens so fast. Head, but yeah. <laughs> the tempo is so fast and they're dealing with such a short period of time that like it really is difficult to tell. And mm -hmm. in, and the thing is, it's like it's like movie magic, even if that's not. I mean, I'm sure there are people out there who could who mm -hmm. could keep time in that sense but even if there wasn't you could you could fake it for the movie mm -hmm. in a real sense but it's not really important i think if it is real or not because you know the key is we feel the fear and the intensity mm -hmm. and like the precision that that fletcher has and some of the time like he seems to kind of be bsing to a certain extent like or maybe he is like it's hard to tell how because he's being this is maybe jumping ahead but he's being kind of a manipulative or not kind mm -hmm. of, he is being like emotionally manipulative in certain places. So like, it's hard to tell if there's times when maybe he's just messing with them in order to like provoke a certain outcome or response or something like that. The scene where mm -hmm. he like sends the one kid out who says that he's out of tune, even though he wasn't and keeps the one who was out of tune is kind of indicative of that. Like, yeah. Because he should have known that he was the other one yes. was out of tune, yeah. But yeah, that's that's maybe jumping ahead. I think to your point about like at the beginning, there's the, there's definitely that setup of like there's a conversation they have early on between Fletcher and Andrew where he mm -hmm. asks him about his dad, and he's like, "Oh, what does your dad do?" And Andrew's like, "Oh, he's a writer." And Fletcher says, "What has he written?" Like the expectation is already mm -hmm. like you should come from greatness already. And it's like, you know, oh, it's sad and pitiful that like mm -hmm. you haven't or you don't, that your parents are insignificant like by this framework that I have for success. And so there's already setting up like not just this idea of that Andrew wants to be a great musician, but that he's aspiring towards like wanting to just be great in general. 
Yeah, it's it's the kind of classic American dream element, the the Rocky story, you know, the the average Joe underdog person who kind of arises or transcends his own class or social status to become something more. Which is it's fine. It's it's a simple setup. It's one that makes you. I think it's it's easy for such a character for for audiences to relate to him. I guess the average audience member is also going to be a relatively average person. So it's in that sense, it would be easier for us to empathize with him if he is just a normal guy instead of someone who was born and raised with music and had like high class rich parents who have been helping him along the way. Yeah. And, uh, that's kind of maybe the cultural part of it that kind of plays into it. And Fletcher has this ethos of like, he's kind of, we learn maybe further on in the film, like he's not necessarily even looking for the person who has the best ability to start with. I think he reveals this kind of when he tells the story mm -hmm. about the trumpetist who dies. He sees himself mm -hmm. as like seeing someone as a kind of a diamond in the rough but who has drive. So like the most important element isn't even like the ability that you start with. It's like your level of motivation. And then that's what allows you to become great is like, mm -hmm. I'm going to push you to, you know, your limit. And so there's almost like an element of that. It's also the, in that sense, I think persistence and drive is also the counterforce that is necessary because he believes that, or Fletcher believes that greatness comes right. from suffering. And so you need some counterforce to that suffering. So so maybe in that sense, that's why he wants someone with the drive because he knows then he can inflict suffering without that person becoming uh, disheartened or just literally broken by the yeah. process of generating greatness. But I think that's very much part of kind of the American dream ethos that is in part like this is mm -hmm. a very extreme version of it, but it's being examined here. And that's a piece of it, too, which is like any normal person, mm -hmm. if they have enough motivation and enough drive and they just go hard enough, can become like one of the greats is kind of the baked in assumption mm -hmm. that is being dealt with. And then we start to examine that. So, yeah, you mentioned let's maybe look at some of the different arguments that are laid out around that question. Yeah, there's one question I had that maybe you have some thoughts on, and that's when they first meet, there's Fletcher, he seems like deceptively friendly towards Andrew, like he kind of lures him in with kind of a low bar, like just give it your best, have some yeah. fun. What do you think that was about? Like how does that, is that supposed to lower his guard in order to only make the shock effect of him being confronted with Fletcher's like real methods later on like that is it supposed to cause like no pun intended but like a whiplash effect or right <laughs> uh was he genuinely uh just trying like okay I'm not gonna I don't want to push him away immediately like I have to give him a taste of oh this can be fun too <laughs> but if so it doesn't it didn't seem very convincing <laughs> 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 I think he is just literally kind of good cop, bad copping him like mm -hmm. and and being I think he's being manipulative like he's overtly trying to like emotionally manipulate Andrew because he thinks that's that's what is going to make him into the, the greatest drummer of all time or, or something or mm -hmm. And he has that story that he keeps telling about, I forget his name, maybe it's Buddy Rich or, or one of the great drummers like being created when another musician like threw a cymbal at his head. And mm -hmm. 
he tells that like it's this gospel, you know, story. <laughs> and it, it's that one event that illustrates, but then he creates an entire ethos out of that and like pushes it to this kind of insane extreme. Mm -hmm. But yeah, the, at least on this watch, I definitely saw it as like him being just intentionally manipulative. Like I think he was just kind of like yeah. trying to make it soft and easy. And then that way his bite had an even tougher. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that's the thing I had issue with. He's obviously like very manipulative. And I could see like with the other manipulations that they were useful. Like when he brings in the other right. lesser drummer to kind of motivate Andrew to do better, to invoke that kind of competitive streak. But with that initial thing that I can't really see like in his perception, what he thought would be the benefit of it. Like, yeah, except maybe, uh, as I said, like creating that shock effect to immediately tell if he's going to break under pressure or not by catching him off guard in that way. The movie is kind of examining the question that we're, we're talking about now, but it, I think it's also just mm -hmm. about like an ab abusive power dynamic that can like arise in this kind of situation. And so like Fletcher does have like he thinks what he's doing is helpful. And I think that's an interesting question to talk about in relation to this movie. Maybe we can get to it more at the end. The question definitely remains like there's kind of this larger question of like how much suffering is worth greatness but then there's a question another mm -hmm. question underneath that which is like is suffering even really necessary in this way in the drive to greatness and like what kind of suffering exactly so like i think there's like a mistake in fletcher's thinking where like he's treating all suffering as beneficial towards the goal emotional physical like all of these things and it's like Maybe, you know, I'm not advocating drumming until your hands bleed, mm -hmm. but maybe drumming until your hands are bleeding is what would be necessary to become the greatest drummer of all time. But like probably not being in like an abusive relationship with a music teacher who like mm -hmm. throws stuff at you or mo emotionally manipulates <laughs> yeah. you. So like <laughs> not all suffering, I think, is created equal in terms of like achieving that goal. But I think Fletcher thinks it is. So he's mm -hmm. like any suffering I can create for this person is going to motivate him emotional, whatever, you know, so he's just throwing as much as he can at Andrew. But I think that's a mistake. I don't like, I think that's a flaw in his mm -hmm. uh, approach, essentially. I think from the perspective of an abusive relationship, you can definitely argue that he's also kind of opening up to him in a soft way like initially to sh he shows him affection and then he takes it away yeah. so he immediately gives andrew he kind of puts him behind like he immediately gives andrew a drive to kind of win back that initial spark that fletcher saw in him and uh, by extension like his kindness and his appreciation uh, that like he got a little taste of it and then he kind of it's like you feed a dog a little bit and then you let him starve right. Uh, which is all the more worse knowing that he had the little treat he knows what it's like and now he kind of yeah. wants it back so that may have been uh, a part of that too but yeah that you it's, it's definitely as much i think about an abusive relationship as about achieving some external goal or in this case a the greatness in drumming or jazz music but yeah i about the issue of suffering there's definitely the for me at least the immediate flaw in that whole logic is that we and to some extent you can uh, that, that's an issue that i have with the movie like a minor issue is, is that you can all these success stories with people who came from like a very low situation or a very like 
who, who rose up through hardship and suffering is that you ha obviously deal with survivor bias. That's what it's called. So you only hear the stories of the people who made it through suffering and you don't hear as much about as the movie also refers to the, or as you refer to with the, the kid who, who didn't make it. There was one kid who under Fletcher's training became so stressed and depressed that he committed suicide. So in that case, it's also the, the issue with have, that I have, I think, is that what the movie chooses to focus on, like it could have chosen to focus on the story of that character who was ultimately broken. And then you would have a very different message, I think, than the one that it has now, which yeah, that's an issue that I have with La La Land as well. Damien Giselle's other movie that's kind of about similar issues where I not, I'm not sure about if the kind of ambiguity at the ending is the right kind of ambiguity. Like, I get that he wants to show something and then let us make us up our own minds about the rightness or wrongness about it. But I'm not exactly sure always if that's he does it in the exact right way. Because, yeah, as I said, that's the issue with suffering. You only hear about the success stories. You don't hear about those who don't make it. So, And that kind of skews the arguments if you choose to make a movie about the small percent that does come through. Yeah, the I've always seen the ending of this as like a bittersweet is maybe the wrong word, more like sweet, mm -hmm. maybe more like sweet, bitter, like it's kind of a downer ending, even though like it feels triumphant, like emotionally, mm -hmm. you, you're kind of like, you know, he's really showing him in one sense, he's like overcoming F Fletcher. And like there's a po there's some positive emotion in that, especially at first, but then in another sense, that's ex that is what earns Fletcher's approval, and in a sense, confirms the whole like system that they're operating in, where wherein mm -hmm. the way Fletcher is behaving pushes Andrew to achieve this kind of this kind of greatness, and he does finally receive you know the approval that he's been you know dangling in front of him this this entire time, and very symbolically, he like. He's been in conflict with his dad, his family. He broke up with his girlfriend in order to like accomplish mm -hmm. all these things. And I think within the movie, like, I think that's not treated as like, oh, this is a good thing. You know, we're kind of like, we see the dark side of what Andrew is doing mm -hmm. to some degree. And he does, he like turns away from his dad and walks back onto stage. He's like choosing to em kind of embrace this life. There's definitely a, conflict within that ending and i don't think it yeah there's there's ambiguity about that yeah. whether or not that ambiguity is appropriate here i don't know i think i've never seen it as like i've never seen this movie as actually affirming this mm -hmm. like kind of approach to achieving greatness because i think it's the cost of that is like very evident but i think it doesn't ever undercut the sense that like the suffering throughout this movie does push Andrew to like a higher level. So like it does kind of operate within that framework. And so I guess there's there's maybe some detriment there in terms of like, you know, are we staying within this attitude mm -hmm. of like, you know, in order to create great art, you have to suffer and it's yeah. worth doing that. I mean, and but I I guess to some degree, like I, I obviously I wouldn't condone this kind of behavior or, you know, 
pushing people in this way or like abusing others or yourself in order to achieve great art. But that is kind of a question I have about life. And I wonder, wonder how you feel about that question of like, to what extent is art or, you know, is greatness forged within like difficult circumstances? And is it possible for those kinds of things to arise out of just like comfort or like, you know, how much of this is true that like to be great, mm -hmm. you have to face some kind of like difficulty yeah. in, in achieving that. Yeah, it's funny because this feels like a very, to me at least, a, like a specifically American cultural thing where <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the two are so intrinsically linked that it's hard to imagine them separate. Whereas in, I think in general in Europe, that's not as strongly the case. Because yeah, as you, as you said, and to kind of finish the initial question of what kind of arguments does the movie offer in terms of uh, greatness and what kind of suffering is necessary. And that, uh, as you said, he does, he breaks up with his girlfriend who he sees as kind of standing in the way of his practicing time and just mental headspace. He kind of disregards his family because he feels they are too average and they are not, they don't understand the kind of quest that he's on and the destiny that awaits him and I do like the way the movie almost indirectly shows the flaws in that kind of complete dedication to greatness because there's always yeah. going to be these random events that will undermine your own personal agency. I remember at the first time I watched it I was kind of rolling my eyes at him. There's that scene where he forgets the drumming sticks or the he forgets something, he has to race back and then there's no, he misses the bus or something and he has to drive the car and he gets in an accident. And I felt like, oh, this is kind of convenient. Pushing it a little too far. Yeah. yeah. But at the same time, or at least that that's what I felt about it later, is that it, that's kind of what happens when you feel like you are so almost tunnel vision towards one goal that you try to expel everything out of your life. But then every interruption feels like this ridiculous outside force that shouldn't be there, but that's kind of what reality is, I think, still. Like you, yeah. it kind of shows the flaws in the idea that you can isolate yourself towards one purpose and then disregard everything outside of it because, you know, the, the outside will find its way in anyways. Yeah, yeah. So at least in that sense, it actually makes the argument that it's necessary to find some kind of balance because if you kind of, right. if you completely block out everything else, then you're just going to be blindsided by whatever it is that you blocked out. So, and that's, as the movie almost shows, it's almost cost him his career. Like he almost, he completely feels that performance, if I remember correctly. Yeah, that's the, that's the one where he got kicked out. And, and so in that sense, it does show that too much focus, too much single-mindedness can also be detrimental. Yeah. But yeah, so I, I do have my questions at the, in the way the movie follows through at the end. And it kind of feels like this impossible question, because if you pose such a question, it's it's almost like, I'm not sure exactly how to articulate it, but it almost feels like a false choice in the sense that you can make the argument for both, depending on which story you tell. For example, there's another movie, um, I'm blanking on the name, but it was this a smaller, lower budget movie about a drone strike that was about to happen. And the movie was basically this discussion of like, is this the real threat or are we going to harm civilians? And then at the end of the movie, the, the main question essentially became like, is this risk? Like, is this worth the risk? And then it also kind of sets up this 
impossible situation where the movie can now choose to answer its own question by having it end in one way or the other. And that, because I think in the movie it did end up killing the bad guy, but it also took out some civilians. So I think it's the issue with when you raise a question that can be answered depending on your own ending that you give to the story. And that's a little bit my issue with Whiplash. It's a great movie and almost a perfectly execute, executed one, but it's like my small nitpick that makes me love it not as much as some other people. But yeah, I feel that it's ending tips maybe too far, you feel, in the direction of like affirming like that the suffering involved in this film did help achieve like some kind of greatness towards the end. Yeah, I think that and just the way it it set up its thematic question in that it inevitably right. had to resolve it in some way or another. And in this case, it did resolve it by giving some happy, sad affirmation. I think Chazelle, in one interview uh, himself, claimed he wanted to do the, the saddest happy ending that he could imagine. Right, right. It's not just the way it ends, but also the way it sets up its main question yeah. at the end that you... Yeah, the, the whole interpretation then depends on how it ends, like the, the right. its own answer to it. Yeah. And it, it's not a big issue. Like there's other movies like The Dark Knight does the same, for example, with, when you have the ending with the Joker on the boat, like that movie. Right. There the, you have the civilians who choose not to act. And that also kind of answers the question for the thematic question of that movie. But that could very well have gone very differently. And then the Joker would have won. It happens in a lot of movies. So I'm not, I'm not exactly sure why I was more bothered by it in Whiplash or slightly more bothered by it in Whiplash. But yeah, maybe because it was so well on its way to showing the real implications of the cast of greatness that I was hoping for a little bit more of a satisfying thematic resolution. Despite this, as I said at the beginning, this being an uh, incredible finale that had me on the edge of my seat and still does every time I watch it. Yeah. It's just that there's some emotional ambiguity there on my end that I right. that I'm not sure that there should have been, but but yeah, to come back to your initial question about how much suffering is needed for greatness. Yeah, as I said, like from my perspective in Europe, it's much more common, I think, to take more measured risks based on, I think in, in America, it's very much like just pack your bags, go out, right. go all out, <laughs> like one chance, I'm yeah. going to make it or break it. Whereas we are much more, yeah, we are slightly more reserved and maybe careful. And you can argue like, to what extent is that who produces the most greatness? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is that it might produce more greatness, but it also produce more like the 1% that makes it to greatness is like maybe greater, but then the kind of part that ends up in total suffering and devastation, that might also be much bigger. So you might want to wonder like collectively, what is the more desired one? Do you rather have like average greatness with less suffering or do you want more suffering but like more intensified greatness because that i think is collectively what it's gonna how the statistics are gonna end up if you follow that kind of philosophy to the emotional ambiguity that you're talking about i don't think i disagree at all that it's there i think Mm -hmm. to me that ambiguity emotionally feels appropriate kind of for the reason you're presenting which is like 
you see him go back there and something is achieved through that, but it's tempered by uh, knowing the price that he's paid all along the way to get there. And then also like the question, Mm -hmm. at least that's in my mind of like, maybe he could have gotten here anyway without this ridiculous, like, you know, insane abusive relationship. Because I think you're right in that, like Mm -hmm. with the real world seeping in and the tunnel vision, like Fletcher's approach ends up terribly for, even though they achieve kind of their goal in the end a little bit, Fletcher's approach is terrible for both of them along the way. Like the reason Andrew gets kicked out is not because he like is a bad drummer, but because he, you know, is being pushed so hard that, you know, he like makes mistakes and then like gets in this car accident. If Fletcher had been a little bit, had had a little bit more balance in that situation, maybe Andrew would have gone even further if he had, you know, if Fletcher could have said like, okay, in this moment, Mm -hmm. you can apply a little bit of like easing up on the pressure, then maybe they could have gotten further. And it's Fletcher's behavior ultimately is what gets him like kicked out of his position. So if his goal is to like raise this great drummer, like now he no longer has even the opportunity to do it because of how he's been behaving. So like the costs Mm -hmm. are there. And by the end, you know, it's like it, it ends with them kind of getting to a certain place within their relationship, but we don't really know what happens after that. Like, you know, are they even able to, you know, does he go on to be a great drummer? Who knows? Maybe it implodes again. But I think like, I like the ambiguity because I think there's a sense in which in life, maybe suffering does push people towards achieving more, but that does not necessarily mean that we should accept that as a cost. And like, I think that's the, that's the ambiguity that this movie I feel like is kind of dealing with of like, you know, oh, like the position I'm in by the end is like, he did it, but I feel bad now that he actually accomplished that. And I think that forces in like an inward examination of like, okay, you know, like maybe is suffering the path to greatness maybe that's the wrong question to begin with. Like, and that's a binary that like we Mm -hmm. should dismantle. But I think when that binary is so present, even if that's the, the right question to ask and the answer is yes, like suffering does help motivate greatness, then it's not worth it. Even in that reality. Like, I think that's a question worth examining too. Like, even if we knew, yes, if yeah. you if you get a music teacher in here and you have him emotionally abuse his students, you'll reliably produce, you know, like the gr- next greatest jazz musician, <laughs> then that's probably, you know, we should look at that situation and say, no, we shouldn't do that because we shouldn't abuse people emotionally. And it's not worth having great, amazing art. It's not worth it destroying people's lives for the sake of amazing, great art. Yeah. And I think that's a question that the movie kind of addresses more explicitly earlier on when they're at the dinner table and they're kind of talking about success. And Andrew's like, I'd rather be dead at 30 and have like, you know, people talking about me at a dinner table than whatever, mm-hmm. you know, the other thing is. And yeah. that's the core assumption that has to be dismantled. There's a certain irrationality to it, to the question of why even have greatness at all, because there's... There's obviously merits to, like, on a societal level to pushing the boundaries and making sure we keep pushing ourselves towards new inventions, new things that might benefit our own, like, 
our survival, ourselves, our, our well-being, but there's also there's definitely limits to it, and there's people who go beyond those limits to the point where you can wonder, like, why why is this necessary? And I actually think this is probably my my or probably a hot take, but I slightly prefer First Man over Whiplash when it comes to articulating those themes. Not by a lot, but it's it's also personal preference. But I think overall, First Man is is which is also for the record uh, for those who don't know, directed by Damien Chazelle. I think it's slightly more interesting on a thematic level because it really. It's about the first man on the moon and his journey. It's kind of framed both on the individual level as well right. as on the societal level because they're kind of pumping money and effort into these space programs. But there's also the, and, and they have arguments for why that's necessary, like to offer new perspectives on for humanity and whatnot and to stick it to the Russians, I guess. <laughs> and, but but I, I was mostly fascinated by the kind of personal journey of Neil Armstrong in that movie because it, I think that one more clearly than Whiplash showed the kind of the why behind why he wanted to do so. Like it showed him as being almost irrationally driven, but he also found more clearly like some sense of closure right. when he finally reached the moon. Like I won't spoil it for those who haven't seen it, but there's a more. He does get to the moon, no spoilers. <laughs> yeah, that's a spoiler, I guess. But... <laughs> But there's, to me, at least a more satisfying emotional arc there about, uh, and a more relatable one about even that, even when you can see something is irrational and for all intents and purposes kind of pointless, you can still see how it might have subjective meaning to a person and it might help them to process something else or to find some other kind of meaning or closure that makes it meaningful anyways. And that to me is, especially after having seen First Man, that's kind of what I feel Whiplash was missing. There was a bit, I wanted a bit more of that in Andrew, like a bit more, a bit more connection to his drive to become this great drummer. But yeah, as to the one more thing I wanted to say on the issue of suffering and I was actually thinking of like myself, not in the sense of having achieved greatness, but in the sense that the way I went about starting YouTube actually was pretty un-American, I guess, in the way we've been talking about, because I made sure, like, I only started YouTube be- when I found, like, a, I had this very low responsibility, low effort job at a movie theater behind the screens, like, I was the, handling the projectors and mm-hmm. stuff part-time, so that for me, at least gave me a setup that I made enough money to cover like my basic expenses. And so I said to myself, okay, I can do this for six months, maybe a year, and then try to do this YouTube thing without, and if, so if YouTube would have failed, like I wouldn't have been ruined personally. Yeah. Like I could have had, it. I, I gave it a shot and fortunately for me, it worked out. I eventually got to quit the other job and I can do now do YouTube full time, but I've also seen plenty of others or even some in our genre, I won't name any names, but some who started out going all in on YouTube, thinking this is going to be their thing. And then eventually they channel didn't do as well as they had hoped, or they kind of hit a slump or didn't take off at all. And they ran into financial troubles and personal stress, and they had to take care of other situations. And eventually they had to quit the channel, their channels entirely. So yeah, I, in that sense, the, the point I was going to make is that I don't think it's necessary to kind of have that all suffering or nothing at all situation in order to achieve whatever it is that you want to achieve, whether it's greatness or or something else. 
so and yeah that's kind of my issue i guess with it that it's it can so easily overshadow the failures and the right. kind of, because obviously everyone loves a great rise from nothing right. to <laughs> success story and i always find them a bit comical when they a lot of these american stories that there's a lot of them that really at least in my perception that it feels like they really almost not necessarily romanticize but at least heighten the kind of sometimes the poverty that they came from like they will emphasize like we didn't have chairs to sit on we sat on ate on the ground and i'm like oh, how, how how does that contribute to the drive for greatness was that really a contributing factor did that mean anything or is that just in hindsight that you kind of add those details into it because they make for the nicer story but that's just my yeah. me being like critical european <laughs> part of why i love this movie is the way it examines this question because I have, I think the approach that you're describing of not going mm -hmm. all in, of taking a more balanced and measured, I think is the, is generally the appropriate way to do things. Like I, I mean, mm -hmm. I came up in this culture and I, you know, it's very American, but like, it's also, I think like particularly potent during the time that I grew up, the 90s and the 2000s, there was mm -hmm. very much this sense in the culture in general uh, that millennials had in America of like, not only like, can you do whatever you want, but you should, you know, and if you just find your passion and follow your dreams, you will be able to achieve success. It was very much like that was the voice of the culture. And it was like, hustle work hard and you'll be able to accomplish these things and i think that that's like there is some relation between like working hard and achieving success like if you do nothing you're less likely to <laughs> accomplish your goals yeah but like it's certainly way out of balance i think in culture at least in the in kind of the popular culture that i absorbed as a kid as a teenager from like the internet and people who were you know, promoting that kind of that kind of culture online. And so, yeah, I totally mm -hmm. am supportive when I give advice to people now who who ask about like, hey, I want to start a YouTube channel or whatever. There's a lot mm -hmm. of people who have this mindset of like, I want to get everything perfect and then I'm going to go all in. I'm going to jump in. I'm going to start cranking out content and it's going to be great. And, you know, within six months, I'm going to be successful. And it's like, I know why that approach appeals to people, why they want to do that. But that's really not how it works for most people. Like most, I think mm -hmm. on YouTube specifically, you know, most people have this slow rise to making it work. And it takes a long time of just like, you know, being able to put effort in while you're doing something else. For a lot, like in my case, I started doing that on top of a full-time job. So it was a little bit more like I was kind of overworking myself to some extent for a few years. In order to make it work, I had a little bit of transition with a part-time job that was a little bit easier. But I think, so anyway, I agree. And I think a more healthy approach is needed and is required. But I think because of that, like culturally here, at least for myself, and I, I think for a lot of people, there's a sense in which like this approach is often like you might not have a Fletcher in your life. You might, you're probably not in this crazy, extreme, abusive relationship with a teacher or something, but there's a mm -hmm. sense in which like mentally, I think this is kind of the headspace that a lot of people get, some people get into where they're like beating themselves up. You know, they have a little Fletcher in their mind 
that they're mm-hmm. like allowing to to like yeah or they seek it out on youtube or right. something like yeah self-help gurus or the, these aggressive motivational speakers but, yeah and i think the thing is because it i think a lot of people might be afraid that they are too lazy or they might not have the motivation or they the willpower to do so but i and in that sense it's very enticing to go with this philosophy that really that reduces your chance of success to that one quality that you might have in your control like just if it's just your own willpower then then all you need is more of it and then you'll be fine and you're gonna make it and that i think is a bit of an issue too but it's hard to argue against that one because obviously if you don't do anything you'll achieve nothing so it takes some action it takes some willpower on your part to get anything in motion so it's hard to say like oh willpower doesn't matter at all it's all based on this or that or something else or you know but at the same time there's there's so many other factors that kind of yeah. factor into the way you make it or not like especially if i look at my like like both of us we have some degree of survivor bias as well because we made it and yeah. sort of at least we're kind of at doing the thing that we want to do with regards to youtube it's always very hard to kind of see what really defined your own success. Like if I look at my own channel, like was it like the sound of my voice? Was it the kind of content? Was it some weird combination? Like if someone else had made it, would it be the same? Was it just like the very slightest nuances in your, your personality or whatever it is that you conveyed through the videos? Was it just then the hard work and willpower? In in my case, I wouldn't say so. Like I don't see myself as a person who has a very strong sense of willpower like i'm pretty lazy overall but i am selectively disciplined i would say like not in everything but i the thing about my youtube work is that since i've started i i've been making videos consistently i haven't been working myself to death like i do believe in part of why i wanted to do this is because is to have that kind of freedom to have a more relaxed work-life balance for me it's been more of a work smart not hard kind of thing and somehow that panned out that isn't to say that i that i don't put a lot of time in youtube like i probably work harder or at least put in more hours than the average nine to five job has but the kind of the boundaries between work and private are kind of blurred when you're doing this kind of work (laughs) when watching watching movies and tv like kind of becomes your job yeah exactly (laughs) yeah like a one night I'll say to myself, I'll take the night off just to relax with the movie. And the <laughs> day later I'm watching it again because I got inspired <laughs> by it and want to make a video about it. <laughs> and suddenly it became work in hindsight. I definitely relate to like, I think doing YouTube has kind of deconstructed that sense of like, you know, your success is directly tied to just, you know, your ability to work hard because it's so blatantly obvious sometimes that like how hard you work on a video does not dictate like Mm -hmm. how successful it's going to be like a lot of times the videos i work hardest on are the ones that you know are like "Eh, they'll do okay or you know sometimes they perform the worst and then i'll I'll have this idea and i'll be like oh you know Mm, crank that one out it's an easy video do it in like a couple days or something and then that's the one that goes viral and so it's like literally you know at least in my experience on youtube you know there's hard work overall that's involved and i think that consistency that you talked about plays a role Mm -hmm. but yeah it's it's really not like you know i can see a one-to-one relationship between like yeah if i just really work hard on this one video then that's going to translate to more success there's huge factors out there that have 
very little to do with like how much blood, sweat, and tears mm -hmm. I put into a, a specific piece of work. Yeah, it, it's interesting, you know, how YouTube in some way really reflects that because I was also thinking like the difference between like the story like Whiplash and the kind of the YouTube creator story is that whereas in Whiplash, there's only the door that people have to go through is extremely narrow. Yeah. Like there's only room for one person to be that great drummer. And that's also what Andrew has. Like he had, had to go get into the good school. He had to get the attention of the great teacher. And then he had to be the best among the last like two or three drummers that uh, Fletcher throws against him. Uh, whereas on YouTube, there's not really that kind of barrier at first sight at least it doesn't really say like oh there's only so many youtubers that can be watched and right. that's it like yeah. there's no maybe in, in practice that's kind of how it turns out but like in theory at least like everyone should be able to find their own little audience but that to me only reveals like how the same or roughly the same kind of effort can be rewarded so differently because i think there's a lot of there's plenty of other channels that make videos that are uh, of the same quality as the one that as the ones that we make but they might be viewed or way less or even way more like i think there's some channels that i to me at least are on the same level as ours that kind of that are somehow making the big bucks and then there's the other ones that are somehow making nothing it does reveal a kind of inequality or the kind of the inequality regardless of effort and quality yeah. that exists because of other variables that that, that might not even be articulatable is that a word Art. word no but Artic <laughs> yeah articulatable, articulatable. <laughs> i'm not sure what the word would be for that um, but you get yeah, the point yeah, right yeah. that's <laughs> yeah no i i i definitely agree and i think i think an important you know some people may disagree with this but like i think the the world view that Andrew has in this movie, you know, mm -hmm. because it's like, it's not like Andrew, I think an important thing to note that I was thinking about this time watching it is it's not like Andrew is just a victim of Fletcher. He has a view of the world that allows him to be kind of victimized by Fletcher. And it's, it's not just Andrew. It's a very pervasive worldview because all these people in this, I mean, you know, maybe mm -hmm. some of them are there like, oh, they just wanted to go to school. They landed in the conservatory and you know they're they're good and so they're they ended up in the best in this studio band and now they're just being abused by this teacher who you know is being abusive mm -hmm. but you know i think like a lot of them got there because they have this drive that then at least in andrew's case kind of allows him to accept this kind of treatment and that's not to like i'm not trying to blame like victim blame him but he does go back to mm -hmm. it. And it's it's this mindset of like he is attaching too much value to not just success, which it's like it's normal to want to be successful, but he's attaching too much value to greatness, which is I think this other thing, like even beyond mm -hmm. wanting to be successful, which is like I want to be the best. And it's this drive to like I want to like live on somehow as a name in the hearts and minds of people and be talked about around the dinner tables that is mm -hmm. so valuable to me that i'm willing to like die for that that's a ultimately like a destructive view to have and if you hold that view like it will lead to 
suffering in your life. And if it manages to mm -hmm. create some great art along the way, A, you have no guarantee of that because there's, there's a lot of people who would hold that view and then they never end up creating something great. So like you're not even guaranteed to accomplish your goal of living on as a name in the hearts and minds of people if you, you know, are willing to die to try to achieve that greatness. So that's point A, which I think like you've been making, which is like, that's mm -hmm. the story of the other student that killed himself is like, you know, assuming Andrew achieves that greatness, there's others who haven't. But then even if Andrew does, like, not worth it. <laughs> like, don't suffer yeah. your entire life just to, <laughs> you know, be a name that people talk about when, you know, when you mm -hmm. die at the age of 30 because you're miserable and you, you know, overdose on drugs or something. But, but like, that's an actual thing that happens a lot. Like, not that infrequently, especially in like American culture where you have these artists who have like mm -hmm. pushed themselves and they live this like unhealthy lifestyle in part be maybe because they feel like compelled to do so for their art and then they end up dying you know young or before their time often of like drug abuse related issues you know and i think part mm -hmm. of it has to do with this like mentality of like oh, the suffering is inherent to my path to greatness <laughs> don't do that in general live fast die young kind yeah, of philosophy yeah. <laughs> so I guess I'm saying don't do that. Maybe that's obvious, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I guess it's worth stating. It's enough of a problem, I think, yeah. culturally that like it's worth stating. Yeah, I was going to say, I think that's what Andrew feels and what drives him is definitely reflective of a wider cultural phenomenon where a lot of people feel the need to be someone in particular yeah. and to be someone special. And I think there's some general societal developments that play into that i'm actually working on a video right now that kind of touches on it the way we are increasingly individualized and pushed to kind of be someone unique and be a person with capital b yeah. in the same way for example you see it with the general work life relation whereas like 50 years ago it would have been fine if you spent your life as the company man or whatever and but now it's more uh, more than ever it's 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 almost normal to kind of change your career after a certain bit, like work a few years here, then a few years there, because it's no longer really about the place that you work at. It's really now your own trajectory and your own right. sort of life path yeah. that is the thing that matters at the most in the end. And everything else is just kind of the, the incidental parts that you happen to encounter. But ultimately, it's about your story, like you, the kind of who you became on your journey while working with these different companies and doing these different jobs and that sort of stuff. Yeah. And we see it in other other aspects of life too, I think. But yeah, bringing it back to Whiplash, that it's definitely, I think that that drive towards uniqueness definitely plays into his motivation to be the greatest drummer or the great musician who sacrifices everything for the for the art. And uh, yeah, to, to some extent, I think that it's not something that the movie, I think, really touches on the way the general culture might have instilled those thoughts and beliefs within him. But he kind of seems to be like motivated or driven by his own and not necessarily as someone who got or received that passion from some other place or at least felt the need to pursue a passion with that kind of intensity. It's still reflected there a little bit in his um, just general uh, motivation i think yeah yeah it's definitely i mean it's not the culture as a whole because obviously you have plenty of people still who don't 
kind of subscribe mm-hmm. to that or feel compelled by it. But there's definitely a, you know, there's definitely a contingent that is. And I think it's like, it's worth noting that I think to some extent it's a byproduct of kind of what we tend to glorify in our media and our art, which is like, which I think is kind of to your point of the stories of failure, quote unquote. Well, even the fact that we tend to classify it as that of like, oh, if you mm-hmm. try to achieve this and you don't, it's it's failure, which is this negative thing. I think also maybe the way we we tend to celebrate individuals instead yeah. of more collective achievements. Like if you look at Elon Musk, for example, I think initially, like a couple of years back when he first became quote unquote famous, I think it was more so because of his, what he was doing, like he was popularizing the electric car. He had like these great ambitions for human advancement. And now it's more, it's almost more, it turned into it like a cult around his personality more increasingly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that's the same with, I think with a lot more of those success stories in general, where it's now more about the individual and do we admire their personalities and their general being. And it's no longer just about celebrating achievements or something that's achieved in the world that benefits everyone. We don't don't really celebrate like collective experiences in that sense. Like the way I think, for example, the way a space race like in the 60s wouldn't be exactly possible today i don't think it's we no longer have those common goals or ideals that we can as easily unite behind as our process of or or like the act of worshiping has become so geared towards individuals yeah yeah this is not to say that that still isn't like rampant nationalism and stuff going on and group identity but i do think there's a slight shift that's been happening there yeah I think things really go off the rails when you tend to, when you focus on like the means, what used to be a means kind of becomes the end in of itself where like success, like, you know, I think in a healthy way, the reason a lot of people want success is because like, oh, you know, they want, you know, to be able to live comfortably or work less or whatever, you know, Mm -hmm. motivation that is there. And success is a means to achieve that. But then it kind of turns in on itself where we begin to venerate success itself instead of what success is able to provide for other people or for the person themselves. And when you pursue that as the, as the end, then like you end up spending too much or you're, you're willing to pay too high a price for it because you're not measuring that against like the outcome anymore. If Andrew's measure Mm -hmm. of success was like, I want to enjoy drumming and love drumming he would have stopped a lot sooner because he would have been like well this sucks like (laughs) i'm not (laughs) i'm not having fun this is terrible you know my mental health is shot like all of those things but he's willing to pay that price because like he's venerating the success itself and not what that success holds for him that's where a lot of things go off the rails that and and Mm -hmm. the focus on like you said, too much focus on one person. And the, the irony yeah. is that he's like, in this movie too, is that he's like a drummer in a band and there's like no, <laughs> there's no thought given to like, well, is, you know, is the band good? How's, how's things? It's like all mm-hmm. about like, you know, that selfishness, that like insular individualism is like visibly rampant, even within like, you know, literally mm-hmm. a band. Even within the collective yeah. context or that 
it, it's true definitely that he he needs the band in order to even be a drummer or otherwise he would be part of yeah nothing so yeah that, that's a funny contradiction there i think i guess the show the bear kind of deals with some of these issues i won't go too deep into the bear i haven't seen it yet it's about a kitchen and mm-hmm. i think it does a a slightly better job of like exploring like success as a collective because it examines like different people's roles in like being able to achieve this team like there's a sense in which the team at the restaurant is necessary to success and so you can't just have one individual like mm-hmm. acting like andrew does in this movie you you need some symbiosis there we don't get a lot of movies about collective success because i don't know if there's something inherent about narrative that i mean kind of i think narratives about individuals are a little bit easier to to craft i think first man actually did navigate that quite well it made it made it explicit that it was the the whole getting to the moon was gonna rely on like everyone's involvement and not just like neil armstrong didn't stand there thinking like this is my achievement that's what i kind of liked about that movie that his personal meaning from that whole ordeal was kind of separated from the collective one but in a way that they didn't necessarily contradict each other or at least like his his personal success in that story did not detract from that being an explicitly collective one and that i think is actually a nice way to go about it to kind of show someone being a part of a collective challenge and then without necessarily negating the collectiveness of that all like still showing that person finding some individual meaning within that larger success but yeah well maybe we'll have to uh, do a follow-up discussion about first man at some <laughs> yeah. point. it's been a, that one i've only seen once uh when it came out it's been a while yeah i've seen it twice i think but i feel like rewatching it now yeah i would be interested to examine that in terms of themes i i think like whiplash i ultimately liked more because aside from mm-hmm. what it conveys thematically like I just love this, like the music, the filmmaking, the way mm-hmm. this movie is like telling its story, the ending, like, you know, we can, we can sit here and talk about all this stuff. But the reality <laughs> is when I'm sitting there watching it, I'm like, the drumming yeah. is amazing. <laughs> it's like, just like I get caught up in the. Oh yeah, I, I definitely have the same. And I think Whiplash is probably the more consistent movie in terms of quality and, or like the technical aspects and every, it's more concise in some ways more distilled more tight in some ways than uh, the first man i think it's two and a half hours long it's more it feels more like this long through the life story whereas yeah. whiplash is just this perfectly little contained thing on its own it's it's an easier rewatch i think because yeah. it's it, it's it's shorter it, it's faster it's more i think it's more fast-paced and yeah just a greatly made movie Thank you all for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to check us out on our creator-owned streaming service, Nebula, where you can listen to all of our episodes a week early and without any ads. And you can also listen to our monthly bonus episode that is available exclusively on Nebula. Right now, the best way to get access to Nebula is by signing up for Curiosity Stream, which is a documentary streaming service. When you sign up for Curiosity Stream, you'll get a free Nebula subscription along with that. To learn more, just follow the link in the show notes below and we'll see you again next time.